Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Thank you, Pastor Robin. You know, it's funny these days, I don't know about you guys, but coming into October, trying to figure out what am I going to wear, uh, meaning is it going to be a short sleeve shirt or a long sleeve shirt or put on a jacket? Um, and uh, I was reminded as I, as sort of as I hike my pants, because I don't like belts that are too tight, of W.A. Criswell, who um, W.A. Criswell was the pastor of uh, First Baptist Church of, of Dallas. Some of you may be familiar with him. Someone asked him what he did, what the last thing was he did before he went on to the, to the platform to speak, and thinking it may be a word of prayer or something, and he said, I checked my fly. Um, <laughs> That was not a bad idea. When, when we were just before we planted North Sound Church, I had a Sunday school class at North Shore, which was our, our, um, the church that sponsored us. And uh, I had, unfortunately, the problem that uh, W.A. Criswell was trying to avoid, only mine was a little worse because I had my shirt poking through. <laughs> and uh, so Barb, Barb uh, was trying to signal me, and <clears throat> I called the class to prayer, and I think Scotty came up and whispered in my ear that I had something I needed to attend to. So I think I'm, I think I'm okay today, uh, and hopefully you are as well. Welcome to North Sound. So good to see you, and uh, what an amazing day out there. Um, I was telling somebody, I think it's supposed to be 80 tomorrow, that uh, what kind of a what kind of an October is that in uh, in in Seattle? Goodness. Well, today we begin a new sermon series, and <clears throat> I'm delighted to uh, welcome you to the series. We're going to be talking about the church life together, and we're going to be um, unpacking uh, some scriptures from the Book of Acts about the life that we have together. And it's pretty important because this year we're anticipating uh, some exciting developments for the church moving ahead into the future. And I won't share much about that today, maybe a little bit more next week. Uh, But the last week of this month, we're going to have a week of fasting and prayer as a congregation. At the end of that week, the elders and the staff have some time set aside to discern what the Lord is saying and to look at the future. But um, the sermon that I share this morning will kind of give you an idea of why we're thinking this way and why as we look ahead to the future, um, we're anticipating some good things for us. It will involve some change. Um, it will involve some innovation. It will involve um, some things that will motivate us in ministry, uh, help us to be more effective, I think, in our community, uh, but more about that uh, in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> so today, <clears throat> thanks, Kevin. <clears throat> Did you get it? Good, thank you. So today we're going to talk about life together, and this is an introduction to the whole series. John Wesley was not only uh, a great theologian and revivalist some 200 years ago, but he was also something of a prophet because he looked ahead and he described America as it is today. He said that, I do not see how it is possible in in the nature of things for any revival of religion to continue long. For religion must necessarily produce both industry and frugality, and these cannot but produce riches. But as riches increase, so will pride, anger, and love of the world in all its branches. 
And this is not talking just about folks who are wealthy, but it's talking about all of us in America living in a land of prosperity that all of us participate in, and the fact that when we experience that, we tend to grow a little more distant from the heart need for God to intervene in our lives. As America has been blessed by industry and frugality, we now face some of the results. <clears throat> Ron Martoya completed his Doctor of Ministry degree in, um, sorry, I'm going to see if, uh, I think Casey already used some of this. Oh, thanks, Casey. <laughs> um, Ron Martoya <clears throat> completed his Doctor of Ministry degree in 1992, and he has uh, done research on the church in America, and he said that in that year there were 450,000 churches in the United States. But of those 450,000, uh, what he found was that 84% were plateaued or declining. Thank you. I didn't think the sermon would be dry until later, but that's... <laughs> So, <clears throat> 84% were plateaued or declining, and then when he looked at the situation just, just a few years ago, he discovered that there were 310,000 churches in the United States, and uh, there, they were 96% of the churches were plateaued or declining, leaving 4% that were growing, but when he looked at that 4%, he discovered that 75% of the 4% were churches that were growing at the expense of other churches that were plateaued or declining. So in terms of real growth, only 1% of American churches were actually growing with new converts. And unfortunately, he also found 15 to 20 churches are closing every day in the United States. So we have some work ahead of us, and this trend is not all bad <clears throat> in that it's a wake-up call for the church to emerge from the slumber of Christendom. I remember when, uh, when, I, was, when I was a young man, uh, I was born in the 1950s, and what we found in the 1950s was that Americans went to church. We were kind of at the end of Christendom that began with Constantine and went forward. But after the 1950s, there were several things that happened, and we won't go into detail today, but things like the sexual revolution, the politicization of the church, and things like that, that began to change the nature of church so that on a positive note, we are now in a position where, as Christians, we are somewhat distinct from the culture, and we have before us the mission that God has called us to. So in Christendom, we assumed a nation of believers. We assumed in the 1950s that Americans were pretty much either Christian or Jewish, and the numbers of church and synagogue attendance would show that that was the case. But more recently, Steve Raby quotes Gen X authors 
Todd Han and David Verhagen in their book, Gen Xers After God. Now, again, you probably are familiar with this, but um, many of us are baby boomers. If I'm being born in the 50s and early 60s, those that were born later are considered Gen X, the next generation. And these are a couple of Gen X authors, and this is what they say. They say, in our culture, we were comfortable with being the leaders of the consensus worldview. That's Christendom. This is no longer true, and it frightens us. In response, we have lashed out. We have fought and adopted the language of war. The problem is that we have savaged the very ones that need the gospel. We have demonized them and turned them into our enemies. So voting for righteousness, voting uh, as Americans for the right candidates is important, but it's important for us to understand that what we really need is the church to rise to the occasion and become a life-transforming community. And indeed, that is what we believe we are called to as a congregation. And part of our, our, our gathering this fall for prayer and for planning is to say, how can we do this better? In, in a very real way, we planted the church of. Uh, 18 years ago, and now we're talking about maybe we need to replant, maybe we need to, to take a fairly radical approach to how we engage now some almost 20 years later. When we look at the experience of the early church, we learn how to do church from them. They were truly world changers. And so we're going to spend some time over the course of the fall looking at what the early church was like, and then looking at ourselves and comparing what we look like versus what they looked like to give us some idea of what we may need to do as we engage the future. So we're going to take a little time and talk about the first church, the first church of Jerusalem, if you like, and, uh, and our church. And so what I'm going to do today is introduce the topic. There are 10 values that we articulate as a church, and then we're going to uh, unpack them in each of the Sundays, or at least many of them in the Sundays coming up. The 120 that gathered in the upper room were an ordinary group of people. They were united in a common relationship with Jesus Christ, and they had a common mission to be world changers. Now, I want you, if you can, to look uh, at your Bibles, get out your Bibles or your phones or whatever, and we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack uh, the first chapter of Acts together as it relates to the first church and to our church, and we're going to move fairly quickly, so fasten your seatbelts for this one. So first of all, the thing that we notice here in Acts chapter 1 verse 2 is that the words of Jesus became import, the important foundation for what they believed and did. Uh, we read in verse 2, he was taken up after he had given commands. So he had given the early church instructions before he left uh, to go to be with the Father. And he gave them through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In the spring, we talked about the Scripture, and we talked about how important the Scripture is and that we see ourselves as being not above the Scripture, that we have the privilege of determining what is true and what is not, but that we are under the Scripture, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. And being under the Scriptures, then our responsibility is to interpret them 
in terms of what did it mean to the original followers of Jesus and what does it mean for us? And remember, we talked about those two big words, exegesis, being understanding what it meant for the first Christians, and then, uh, and then hermeneutics being the interpretation of that in terms of our lives. We talked also about the fact that the Bible, you don't need to worry about big words, that God, through his spirit, speaks to us when we read the Bible devotionally. But if we want to study, to dig down a little bit farther, the approach we take is to understand what it meant to the first Christians and what it meant today. And indeed, that's what we're doing this morning. The second thing is <clears throat> they waited in obedience for the promised Holy Spirit that would anoint them with power for their ministry. In uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we want to make a difference in our community. We're not playing at church. It's not just something we do for an hour on Sunday morning. We want to impact our community through service, and we're committed to a spiritual ministry that changes lives. And for that reason, we are open to the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we need discernment as to how to use the resources God has given us to see the maximum transformation in our lives and in our community. The third thing we have in the early church in Acts chapter 1 is the fact that the task was to be accomplished with cultural relevance. They would move with sensitivity from the context of Jerusalem and Judea and the more challenging areas of Samaria around the world to understand the culture of the people with whom they worked. We read in verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So what we have here is the fact that they understood the culture in which they engaged. When we planted North Sound Church, we wanted to, um, we wanted to impact the culture of Edmonds by understanding the nature of that culture and having a church in which the worship and the preaching would kind of fit that culture. And so we wanted to be culturally relevant, but there's another side to this, and that is we also want to be somewhat culturally uh, irrelevant in the sense that we want to be a little bit weird. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and many of you did, and um, I love that experience and that background, but we were, we were a little weird at times, and I think we need to be <clears throat> a little bit weird as a people because being a little bit weird in a culture that's going downhill, not going in the right direction, can draw people into an alternative when they say, wow, those, those people are living a little bit differently. Their, their lives are going in a different direction. So number four, we see that they were with Jesus. They were Christ followers who were in an intentional process of becoming more like their teacher. We read then in verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. So life transformation, actually beginning to look more and more like Jesus, involves several things. 
It involves spiritual practices like worship, being here together this morning. This is, a, this, is a spiritual, this is a spiritual practice. There are other practices, prayer uh, in our devotional life, uh, solitude, having an opportunity to hear God's voice and, and, and shutting out the clamor uh, around us. Study is a, is, a, is a practice that helps our life towards transformation. One of the most powerful ones is suffering, actually. It's the tough stuff that we go to. It's the challenges of our life in which we turn to the Lord and experience his help and encouragement through us that helps to, helps to build us in that kind of a relationship. So there are many ways in which God uses the resources that he has given us, his scripture, spiritual practices, the experiences of life, and the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the person that he wants us to be. Number five, they were committed to each other in life-transforming community and met together regularly. Verse six, just part of it says, so when they came together, when they came together, uh, we, we come together as the congregation here at North Sound Church in the room, and it's delightful to see you all. And uh, to our friends who are watching online, we are so glad that you are joining with us in the way that you can, but we really invite you into this gathering as well, if you are able, because the scripture talks about the church being together. I just love, um, I love the fact that we eat together after the service. I have so many wonderful conversations with folks as I'm holding my, uh, today it was a ham with a poached egg inside and an English muffin and a, and a, and a, a little cup of fruit. You're going you're gonna to love it. Just don't go till I'm done. But, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so important for us to be together. And again, for our folks online, when you're able, please, uh, please join us in person. The fifth thing we see here um, is that they were committed to each other in life-transforming community. And then number six is the essential teaching of the community was about the kingdom of God. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Friends, we distinguish between the local church and the kingdom of God. Sometimes in our walk, we tend to think of the, the highest order of God's will is the church. But in fact, scholars agree that the central message of Jesus was the announcement of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the Lord's Prayer, which we will say together a little later, is your kingdom come, and then it describes what that means, which is your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So at the second coming, when Jesus comes back, the kingdom will come and God's will is going to be done in the world. But in the meantime, as a church and as individuals, we are called to be agents of the kingdom of God, which means we are to be agents of seeing God's will done in our individual lives, in our families, in our church community, and in the community beyond. And so we work in the community of Edmonds and beyond in ways that collaborate with others who may see things differently than us, but because we believe that that collaboration will, be, will, will help God's will to be done in the community. So there's the kingdom of God, which is the broad teaching of Jesus of what his intention is. And then underneath that, we have the church 
as an agent of the kingdom, and we have each of us as individuals as agents of that kingdom as well. Number seven, each of the first Christians had a place of service. Everyone was a minister. They were known by name. So we read in verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All followers of Jesus Christ are partners in ministry. Everyone is in ministry. And the very mention of this whole list of names is to say that everyone was significant in ministry. And for us, every one of us is significant in ministry. Whether we perceive that ministry to be small or large, every one of us is significant. Someone has said it's not the task of the laity to support the ministry of the church. It's the task of the church to support the ministry of the laity, each one of you. Number eight, they were committed to prayer. Verse 14, and all those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. We recognize ourselves as a people who strive to do ministry under God's anointing and his discernment for us as a people. And so prayer is an important part of what we do. I love our Wednesday morning prayer meeting. Every Wednesday morning at seven o'clock, we meet uh, some of us online, some of us in the room, in the family room. Um, Dan and Kim have invited friends from South America to join us. It's fun to pray and have them pray in Spanish. Uh, it's just a really wonderful moment in the week as we take on, as a remnant, there are probably only, I don't know, 15 of us, maybe something like that, as a remnant to take on the load of prayer for the church in that way, but we invite you into it. But that's not the only place we pray. You pray in your small groups. Presumably, you're praying at home in your devotional life, but we really believe that we need to be praying, and a lot of praying isn't talking, it's listening to discern what God would have us to do. Number nine, they were about to learn the importance of the Holy Spirit in their ministry. Their worship would be blessed by his manifest presence. And so verse four says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We've been talking about this for <clears throat> excuse me, for a while um, in the sermon already, and that is we've been talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit in a whole variety of ways. In, in this particular case, we're talking about the anointing of the Spirit in our lives, but also as we gather for worship. One of the things the elders have been uh, processing together is, um, is there one thing um, that is especially important to us? Is there one thing that we would like to characterize us as a church? And we haven't landed, uh, and there probably are several. I don't know if we're actually going to get down to one. Certainly, all of the things that I'm mentioning this morning are values. But one of the things we would love to see increasingly at North Sound Church is the manifest presence of God as we come together in worship. Because we've had experiences in our lives, many of us, where the presence of God is, is palpable. 
you, you, can, you can feel it. There's an atmosphere that is so strong that it's, it's convicting. It's, it, it's the realization that God is here. It's like Isaiah uh, having to bow down before uh, God speaking to him and is saying, woe is me, I am undone, because he came into contact with the presence of God. We want to see that at North Sound Church. We want to have people who are followers of Jesus and those who are not followers of Jesus to come in and experience that profound anointing of God's Spirit in our midst. It's not something that we can choreograph. It's not something we can manufacture, but it's something we can pray for. And then finally, number 10, they understood the importance of being organized right. Although they may have gone about it wrong at times, even in the Scripture, they sought organizational excellence and developed the full complement of apostolic leadership. Verse 21 says, so one of the men who has accompanied us during the time that the Lord was with us in and out among. So what it's saying here is that um, they recognized the apostolic leadership and they sought to do things well as a church. Paul was very strategic in his missionary work. And we as a church want to do things well. We're, we're not, um, you know, we're, we're not a, a business in, in, the, in that sense of things, but we believe that God's calling in our lives is to be sensitive to what he would have us to do, and then in the execution of what he would have us to do, to be able to do that well. As our world and our ministry moves quickly, our systems need to have the ability to adjust built in. Edwards Deming uh, was the uh, scientist, social scientist, who helped the Japanese uh, develop Japanese manufacturing, um, Toyota and Suzuki and Honda and Mitsubishi and those folks back in the 60s. And Edwards Deming said, your system is perfectly designed for the results you're getting. And one of the reasons why we're going to prayer this month and looking at the future is that the statistics we looked at earlier said only 1% of churches in the United States are actually growing by conversion growth. Our system of doing life together hasn't been working very well, and we need to come to terms with that together as a family of God and consider what kind of change is necessary for us to see that change. So these 10 expressions of the life of the church in Acts actually make up the core values of North Sound Church. We apply them to us. And this fall, we're going to be unpacking most of these together Sunday by Sunday. So why North Sound Church? Well, located in the first chapter of Acts is the mission statement for Christians. It was not developed by strategic planning, a committee, but it was given directly by God. Jesus told them what they were to do, and you and I are a part of that spiritual inheritance in terms of what God has called us to do. Jesus says in verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. George Barna is a name that may be familiar to some of you. He is an evangelical Christian who developed a business called Barna, uh, goes by his name, Barna, and, uh, and George Barna has now kind of stepped aside and retired and has new leadership for the organization, but they help churches by understanding what is happening statistically in the culture. 
And so this is a, a very interesting thing. It's back in 2004. So our grand opening service as a church was in um, February of 2004. Three months later in May of 2004, he saw what we're living out now 18 years later. He saw this trend. He wrote, the only thing the church can provide that no one else has is a life-changing practical encounter and an ongoing relationship with the living God and with the people transformed by similar encounters. The rapidly swelling numbers of unchurched people may be forcing existing churches to reinvent their core spiritual practices while holding lightly to their core spiritual beliefs, excuse me, holding tightly to their core spiritual beliefs. It will take radically new settings and experiences to effectively introduce unchurched individuals to the biblical principles and practices. And that is why we were called into being and why we're, again, thinking about how do we need to replant our congregation in order to be able to fulfill what he's talking about here. And that is we need to be open in terms of our spiritual practices, how we do community, how we reach the community, at the same time holding tightly to our beliefs. We came up with a mission statement way back at the beginning, and it, it, it still applies today, and that is the mission of North Sound Church is to make uh, mature disciples in the context of life-transforming communities. It originally said community, but since the beginning of North Sound Church, we've helped financially about 10 churches get started. And then in addition to those 10, we have planted two Anglican churches, Holy Trinity Edmonds here in Edmonds and All Saints Church up in Everett, and we anticipate more uh, of that in the next few years. And then we're looking at the planting of micro churches in our own community, and we'll share more with you about that as well. But we see the multiplication of opportunities and churches, an important part of what God has called us to do. As I close this morning, I, I want to share a, a, a story with you. Some time before his fame as the producer of The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson starred in a movie based on the true story of the development of the Air Cavalry. The Air Cavalry was matching helicopters to ground troops as a form of attack, and that particularly took place or was developed in the Vietnam era. It's based on the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. And Mel Gibson stars as Lieutenant Colonel Harold Moore, and he stands before his troops with their families in the background and the troops standing in front of him. And he delivers this message before they get on the aircraft to deploy to Vietnam. He says these words. He says, look around you. In the 7th Cavalry, we've got a captain from the Ukraine and another from Puerto Rico. We've got Japanese, Chinese, blacks, Hispanics, Cherokee Indians, Jews and Gentiles, all Americans. Now here in the States, some men in this unit may experience discrimination because of race or creed. But for you and me now, all that is gone. We're moving into the valley of the shadow of death where you will watch the back of the man next to you as he will watch yours and you won't care what color he is or by what name he calls God. They say we're leaving home. 
We're going to what home was always supposed to be. So let us understand the situation. We're going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive, but this I swear before you and before Almighty God that when we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field and I will be the last to step off and I will leave no one behind, dead or alive. We will all come home together so help me God. Friends at North Sound, we are going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. And if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to do, I need to watch your back and you need to watch mine. And we need to recognize that while we're not leaving home, we're going to where home has always been supposed to be and that is a place where we can navigate life together. And so we come from various ethnic groups, various church backgrounds, various theology, various practices. We gather not just to meet my needs and your needs, but to accomplish the mission for which we have been called. And it begins right here with us, with this life-transforming community. God's called us together to be a witness to what he can do when a group of people dedicated to accomplishing his purpose gather together and in this community, everyone, everyone has a place. Some of you may have heard the music of Steve Amerson. He sings a song called, This Must Be the Place, and I close this morning with the chorus of that song. This must be the place where a broken heart can mend. This must be a place where the outcast finds a friend. For we cannot lift the fallen if our hand still holds a stone. And their sin that seems so great to us is no greater than our own. There must be a point where shame meets grace, and this must be the place. Lord, may North Sound be that place. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your presence. We thank you once again, Lord, that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And now, Lord, as we have reflected on your mission for us, we thank you, Lord, for the gift that you have given to us, and that gift is your death, whereby you became the means by which our sins are forgiven. And so now, Lord, as we celebrate your broken body and your shed blood, may you speak into our hearts and may your grace motivate us to share that grace, that good news with others. In Jesus' name, amen. As we take the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper together, uh, just a reminder that this is not the table of North Sound Church, but the table of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a baptized Christian, we invite you to join us for communion this morning. This is a time in which we have a opportunity, however brief, to look at our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others and to see where they're at, to kind of take a little audit. And if they're not where they should be, to take a moment and to correct that. We call correct confession and repentance. And so I invite you to uh, join us in that and to take a moment. We're going to have you come forward for communion, and I'll begin with this section, uh, and then come to the center section, um, and then over to, uh, to this section as we celebrate uh, communion together. I'm going to ask you to stand, 
And uh, just before we have a corporate prayer of confession, I'm going to ask you to take a moment in the quietness of your own heart to examine that vertical and horizontal relationship. And so, friends, let's humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. join together in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and earnestly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who of his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The words of institution for our service come from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul talks about this practice in the church. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, I thank you again that we can commemorate that we can remember your broken body and your shed blood. I pray, Lord, that as we participate in communion today, may we do so with thankful hearts, and may your grace be very real to each one of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.